We've got a great episode for you, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you in part by our friends at WeWork. The reason I chose to have an office at WeWork is based a lot on flexibility. I started a decade ago as a one-person company, and now we have a growing team. WeWork has the space and budget for all my needs. From hot desks for one, to a full office setup with multiple people, I can grow, scale up or down whenever I need. No long-term contracts, whatever I need. I also love the community and other small business and entrepreneurs who work here. It's super collaborative and everyone is in the same boat, willing to help each other out. If you're interested in a tour, visit wework.com, search by your city and zip code for WeWork near you. Now let's get back to our episode. What's up, everybody? Haven't uh, done a live in a while, so I thought I'd just pop in and say hello. Hope all is well. Yes, I I thought I would just sort of recap and talk about some of the highlights of this year, some of the things that I've learned. You know, this channel is all about brands and branding. So I'm also going to do this AMA where, you know, we can talk about your questions that you want to know or talk about answers to questions that you want to know regarding branding or brand strategy or marketing, some of the things I know a little about, production. If you're new to YouTube or you're thinking about creating a channel, you can ask me that or a podcast. I've got um, probably the highest growth so far in the last couple of years from our audio channel on Spotify, iTunes, then Google Play is probably third, but it's it's just cranking. So audio is big this year. Raise your hand if you have a YouTube channel. I'm just curious if you're interested in, you know, like the production aspect of making a channel. Some of you, most of you may not know that. So we have this channel and then we also manage channels for some of our clients. And so we have a ton of key learning that we do from our own channel that we you know, experiment on. We use this as the, you know, the laboratory. We figure out how to get things right. We make all the mistakes here on our own channel. And then we go and we advise our clients and, you know, they learn from our mistakes and it's a lot better that way because then, you know, we sort of vet all the ideas and we sort of know what works and what doesn't work. And um, so, yeah. Leave me a question. Let me know what you want to know. I'm uh, I'm going to kind of run through a highlight of some of the things that I noticed this year. And probably the first highlight was meeting author Robert Greene. How many of you watched that interview with Robert? I mean, the legend, the man, the myth. He was pretty incredible. Uh, many, many of you may not know that. Uh, well, first of all, let me back up who Robert is. So Robert wrote He's written several iconic books. Probably the most popular is the somewhat controversial 48 Laws of Power. And um, he has a new book out called The Daily Laws. But the 48 Laws of Power really kind of put him on the map. And I got to meet him for the first time. He sort of lives kind of close to me. And um, so we were able to meet. And in 2018, I think... Uh, Robert had a stroke, so he's had some health challenges, but he's slowly but surely, you know, getting stronger, bouncing back. And I was just really impressed with 
his story, his resilience. So for those of you who don't know, let me, I'll share a little bit of inside baseball with you. Inside baseball is a term, if you don't know it, it just kind of means like insider information or behind the scenes kind of stuff. Um, I, my perception of Robert was really different before I met him. You know, I read the 48 laws and I read all, you know, not all of his books, but uh, most of his other books, law of seduction, some of these things, um, and, or the art of seduction. And I kind of thought Robert was this narcissist, kind of a jerk. Um, I didn't know what to expect, but I came in, you know, open-minded, wanted to meet the man. Uh, and I was very pleasantly wrong and surprised. I, uh, when I heard Robert's story in the context of where he came from, Robert, by his own words, in his own explanation, was a failure. He was sort of at the end of his rope. He was a middle-aged guy living in Los Angeles, trying to be a screenwriter, trying to make ends meet, and just failing miserably. No one was buying his work. No one was, no one was interested in what he was selling. He was drinking more and more um, and just sort of kind of miserable. And then he took this job and he, you know, he talked about how many jobs he had. He had 50, 60, 70, 80 jobs, you know, in his lifetime working for all kinds of people, you know, good bosses and bad bosses, um, but mainly bad bosses, he says. And on this one trip to Italy, uh, a man who he was working with was also in the publishing business. And he asked them, he asked Robert, Robert, do you happen to have any ideas for a book? Because he knew that Robert was a writer, wrote the screenplays. And in that moment, he sort of had this sort of in the flow state, um, the ability to draw from his, I don't know, his pain and having sand kicked in his face so often from, you know, people in authority over him. He said, yes, I do have an idea for a book. It's, you know, it's a book about power and how the haves really punish and persecute the have nots. And it's really a book for the, for the underdog to learn how to deal with the people that may be taking advantage of them. And that's how the 48 laws came about. It was very surprising for me to hear that story because I, here I thought Robert, of course, you know, he's a white male and he's born in the United States. So automatically he has a certain amount of privilege. Let's establish that. I'm not saying that's not the case, but in Robert's situation, he was sort of destitute. He was sort of uh, a failure again, in his own words. Um, and didn't have much hope of doing anything else. I mean, he'd worked odd jobs. He'd, he'd done just about everything you can do in terms of part-time work. Um, he'd been in food service. He'd, you know, built things. He, you know, carried things. Anyway, so this book was really like his Hail Mary pass. It was like his last hope. And the publisher was very intrigued. And this man said, you know what? I'll pay for a full year for you to live here. Uh, in it, you know, in Europe, and write this book, and uh, then we'll partner on it, and we'll see how it goes. And so, that was sort of like his opportunity. He doubled down. He took it. He um, he wrote this story of the forty-eight laws, or you know, forty-eight lessons, really, from his perspective of what he learned from being used and abused by uh, awful people that he worked for. And he he was funny because he said that you know all the allegory or the metaphor or the analogy or the the stories that he told of kings and queens and princes and princesses uh he really just changed the names 
And those were actually his bosses, the people that he worked for. So he's kind of sort of secretly, confidentially telling the stories of his own tales, just put in the, you know, um, in the in the stories of the 48 Laws. So that's sort of a little bit of an inside baseball for you about meeting the legend Robert Greene. Of course, I was completely won over. Robert's terrific. He's genius. And he also knows that he's one of the few people in the world that can kind of write in this genre of power or seduction or, you know, sort of become his thing. And he certainly understands how valuable it is. He knows that not everyone can do it like he does. Um, not everyone wants to do it like he does. And so he sort of claimed, you know, put a stake in the ground and kind of claimed that territory so that he can be king of the hill. And again, that's also sort of part of his uh, power play, I think. But it's awesome. Robert Greene. I'm going to pause here just to see if anyone has any questions for me before I keep talking about stuff. Um, as I mentioned before, if you're just now joining me, welcome. Hi, I'm Brian. This is my channel. I don't always get to talk directly to camera. Usually I'm talking to a guest or, you know, doing something else. So I love engaging with you and, and hearing your questions and getting to know you and, and allowing you to get to know me a little bit better. I am broadcasting here from my little home studio office in Los Angeles. Uh, I started this channel about 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago, actually. And I do it because uh, it lights me up. I love doing it. I feel like this channel is making an impact, uh, if not on anyone else, but on me. And uh, I love being able to interact with you guys, the fans, but also with the guests that come on the show, because um, in my opinion, the people who I get to talk to are some of the smartest, most interesting people on the planet. And um, so it's it's an amazing opportunity. Hey, Pete, what's going on? If you're just joining me, stop by, leave me a comment, let me know where you're watching from, and maybe something else interesting about you that we may not know from the comments. I'm also doing like a little AMA, so ask me anything if you want to know anything about something I know a little bit about like video production, managing a YouTube channel, brand strategy. Salah said he's, he wants to know, let's talk about how to build a brand from scratch. Okay. Um, not easy. My, I guess the first question is Salah and you may not be able to answer, but try. Uh, why do you want to build a brand from scratch? Like, what's the point? What are you trying to accomplish? The first thing that comes to mind when I hear that question is, have you determined that there's a significant amount of demand for what you want to make? And if so, like, where's your proof? How do you know? I think a lot of people get the order of operations wrong when they're starting a company or trying to build a brand. They have this great idea. And they jump right out there and they start making it. Or, you know, if you have a product, maybe they'll make samples or they'll make a dye, you know, and then they, they'll race out to, to go get it produced, which can sometimes be pretty expensive. Um, or if you're a service-based, SaaS-based, whatever, you'll write the code, you'll develop the website, you'll come up with a business plan, you know, you'll get all the features and benefits correct, and then you'll launch it. And I think that is out of order. 
I think you're doing it in the wrong order. And the reason I say that is because you may think it's a great idea, but like, how do you know? Is it just your gut instinct? I don't think that's enough. At least it's, it wouldn't be enough for me. I would want to really mitigate my risk more by identifying an audience and making sure that I've got a solution to their problem that they actually want. Now, that's not to say that sometimes your audience might not know they have the problem that they have. And so it's also a good idea if you're starting a brand from scratch to possibly, especially if you're innovative or you're a new product or service, to try and invent a problem that doesn't exist and let your audience know about it so that they can understand that, hey, I, I actually do have a problem. And when I say the word problem, it can also mean, you know, like enhancing your life. I'll give you an example. In 2005, well, prior to 2006, um, this, you know, the cell phone business was a boring business. You know, you had the Palm Pilot and the Blackberry and some of these other, you know, flip phones. And so the cell phone business was kind of boring. And then 2006, 2007, uh, I think it was 2007, Apple, Steve Jobs announces the very first iPhone. And Steve and Apple kind of did what I'm talking about. They, they let us all know that the phones that we were using were sort of, you know, limited and they introduced apps and, you know, um, the ability to sort of do the touch screen and swipe and, and, and do email and all the things that we were doing uh, with the BlackBerry Palm Pilot, but then they took it to the next level. We had no idea what was possible until Steve let us know that our phones were boring or not very functional or not very high tech. They didn't do very much. And basically what he did is he put a computer in our pocket. Um, and then a little bit later, he put a phone in every pocket. So that changed the game. And so there's kind of two examples of the iPhone being two things that we didn't anticipate or know that we needed. And then all of a sudden everybody needed it, right? Like, what would you do without your phone now if you couldn't just like snap a photo of your friend or your kids or if, um, uh, you know, you couldn't go to the uh, get food and like take a picture of the food and then like know the calorie count or scan something or something like that. So, um, yeah, the phone kind of changed the game. So, Salah, that's the first thing I would do with starting a brand from scratch is figure out whether or not you have a product or service that people are already clamoring for. Will you be able to solve a problem? Can you identify who you're talking to? And I would really start from there. Uh, Peter wants to know, what are the books uh, over here? Oh, maybe, let's see. What's that book on your left? Third shelf has all the colors. Oh, oh, oh okay. Uh, that is Seth Godin's Behemoth book. That is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is Seth Godin. Yeah, that's his big book um, in limited. There's a limited run done. And actually, I have, I have a couple of unboxed copies. The 
book originally sold at retail for four hundred dollars. It's it's massive. It's called the big book, the behemoth. It probably weighs twenty pounds, um, but it's a collector's item, you know, because they did a minimum run. But when I did an event with Seth last year, he gave me a bunch to give away to my fans, and so I actually have a couple squirreled away, and um, I might be able to be talked into letting a couple of them go if someone was interested. Depending on where you are in the world, I could probably ship it to uh, somewhere in the U.S. But, but yeah, Peter. Uh, again, the book originally sold for four hundred bucks, but uh, I sort of got it at cost, so I guess that would be about two hundred bucks. Um, but I think, like, if you bought it and you resold it on Amazon or eBay, you might be able to fetch five, six hundred bucks for it. Who knows? Because it's uh, it's in high demand short supply uh shoot me an email here's my email address and we can work that out if you want let me know where you're at but it's it's a tremendous book i mean if you love seth you're gonna it's gorgeous and uh like i said for me it's a collector's item thanks for asking So what are the questions you have about some of the things I know a little bit about? I know a little bit about brand strategy. I know a little bit about marketing and advertising. Uh, some of you may not know that my production company, uh, in, in addition to producing this show behind the brand for this YouTube channel, I also do film and commercial work. So I'm an active commercial director. Uh, we do a documentary films. I'm committed to do one full-length film a year. Uh, and we also do original content or managing channels for other brands and celebrities. And if you look at my website, which I think is probably, there's a link somewhere on the, the channel, you can see some of, we get a glimpse into some of the other brands and celebrities that we are creating content for. And that's a lot of fun because like I said, I use behind the brand in many ways, like a laboratory, an experiment. Like I have no problem making mistakes that affect me. Uh, and then I can just work out all the, the kinks, get the, you know, get the wrinkles out. And then when I go advise clients uh, as I build their channel, then it's like, it's, it's easier, at least mentally on me knowing that I've already tried this and I know it works and I know it fails. And we've had some really good success. I think one of the channels that I'm thinking about, we started building this celebrity's channel. Uh, they had about 8,000 subs and they were making no money. They didn't have monetization turned on. And we looked at it and we said, this is a gold mine. One, because the person that we work with has a lot of, you know, great IP right up here, intellectual property. And, and they're also on TV. And so they're, you know, already well-known. It's a no-brainer to go on YouTube and create great content. And so we did that, and probably within as nine months or maybe 12 months, we took the channel from 8,000 subs and some of the old videos collecting cobwebs to about a half a million subscribers. And then for them, in terms of monetization, they were really happy because 
we were uh, grossing about $30,000 a month for them on their channel just with AdSense revenue. So 30K a month from zero to 500,000 subs or zero money to 30K a month reoccurring, they were pretty happy. Uh, they are still pretty happy. So, um, you know, we have a little bit of expertise. We have the advantage of having this channel, partnerships with YouTube and other important people. And um, so that's a big part of what we do and how we, we monetize, mainly because all this is free. So anyway, if you have any questions about production or you want to know about YouTube, now is the time to ask. We're in about 21 minutes here. I'm, I don't have a ton of time, but I have a little bit of time to answer some of your questions. I love engaging with you guys and, uh, and trying to help you out. Just popping in and say hello. What else do you want to know? Uh, let's see. Peter won't let you send an email. Looks like, well, are you just sending the email outside of YouTube? I mean, you don't need to send it inside. Just send it, send me an email to my email address, you know? Email is valid. It's brian at thegoodbrain.com. Make sure you don't misspell it. My, my first name's easy to misspell. It's B-R-Y-A-N. And the good brain, not the good Brian, the good brain, like the brain in your head. Um, make sure you send it to there. You can also go to the description in the YouTube uh, area. There's links back to my website where my email is listed. It's the same email. Or you can click, you know, for business inquiries, and it'll send me an email that way too. So... Something I think is going on with your end, not mine. But um, oh, you can also uh, DM me if you want on uh, Instagram. So my Instagram handle is is one good brain. Oops, let's see one good brain. So that's my Instagram handle. You can DM me if that works for you easier. One way or the other, we will connect. So let's see. I'm sorry, I'm, I don't want to read your name wrong, but someone asked, what moved you to do what you do on YouTube? So prior to this, I had a big job at the Hollywood studios. I worked for Universal Pictures. I was in the brand marketing and strategy team and I loved it. I mean. I had a huge budget. I spent a lot of the studio's money marketing and advertising movies. I got a chance to kind of put my little toe into the production side when we started creating added value on the DVDs and video on demand. Not, I didn't make movies. Uh, I was on the, in the market, brand strategy and marketing department that was selling DVDs, the movies on DVD. But we needed to put more on the DVD than just the movie. So we would add like the bloopers or um, 
alternative ending or director's commentary, actor's commentary. And that's when I got a chance to get a taste of, excuse me, production with lights, camera, action. And I found myself, you know, in the studio with actors and other people. And I just, I knew that I wanted to pivot from the brand team to production, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to be Spielberg. You know, I didn't want to make big movies. Um, I wanted to really tell stories, documentary stories or true life stories, real stories instead of um, fiction, nonfiction. I love this genre. Um, And so I sort of just gravitated towards telling the docu story. And so when I cut the cord at the studio and started this production company, I knew that I wanted to do documentary films, but also mini docs. And being an entrepreneur for the first time, really, um, I realized I didn't have all the answers. And I kind of was panicking and fearful that my new startup, my new company would not be successful without help. And so I started reaching out to people for help or asking advice. And then I thought, you know what, I should just make a show out of this. I'm sure there's a lot of other people just like me who are wanting to start their own business or become an entrepreneur. And so I documented everything and started filming the interviews and, and asking better questions about, you know, what's the secret sauce? How are you successful? And that's how Behind the Brand, the channel, uh, was born. It's really been a show about innovators, entrepreneurs, and the stories, you know, behind their success to sort of reveal to you and to me how they did it so that we can be successful like them, take a page from their playbook. And, you know, I've done 500 plus interviews on this channel with no plans of slowing down. In fact, we're doubling down on content. We're doing bigger and better stories. And um, hopefully you guys are getting a little something out of it so that you can grow your business or grow your personal brand or, you know, think of other creative, innovative ways to, you know, find your flow state, to find your dream job, do what you really love doing. I love doing this. It, you know, lights me up. I am so excited to wake up every morning to do my job and and I'm also so lucky because I get to sit down or sit next to in front of some pretty amazing people if you think about it you know over over the years you know uh, people like Robert Green or Seth Godin Simon Sinek I was just sitting down with Dan Reynolds of Imagine Dragons Dan was incredible um he shared all this very really personal information about how he's gone through this journey of mental health and he's battled depression. Here he is, this very famous rock star. He's got plenty of money, um, and yet he struggles with 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 depression and, and mental health. And he just got real real with me, and it was really refreshing to hear that even people who are rich and famous have problems. You know, I have problems too. So do you. Um, and he shared a lot of insights about how to cope and deal with what he's going through. And I, I think I know um, that that particular interview with Dan, uh, because he was so candid, will end up saving lives. He, you know, the things that he said will help a lot of people. And I guess that's why I do this channel too, is for impact. Um, 
it doesn't have to impact, you know, I'm not MKBHD. I'm not Casey Neistat. I'm not David Dobrik, not Logan Paul. That's fine. I'm me and I'm doing my thing in this space. And if there's 10 people right here on this live, so be it, you know, uh, it's quality over quantity. So if I can just help one person, I'm totally satisfied. And guess what? Here's a secret. That one person is usually me. So um, I'm good. Like I'm super happy and I, I love doing this. I hope that you find or you have found your passion, you know, your element to be in. And uh, yeah, someone says, who's Logan Paul? Yeah. Well, look it up. Um, Let's see. The question is, do you have anyone new lined up for another live interview? Seth Godin, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, of course. Um, there's a whole lineup that you'll get to see if you're subscribed to uh, 2022. We have big things happening. I have big plans. Uh, we're going to do, hopefully, if you know the pandemic quiets down, if we can get over that hump, then we will have these live events or it's sort of like live in front of a studio audience. So we'll invite a few hundred people to come if you're in LA or if I do one in New York or somewhere else. Um, but we'll also stream it remotely so that if you're in Sri Lanka or if you're in you know, London, uh, you can watch it there as well live or recorded. We'll, we'll record it for everyone. And this should be a lot of fun. All right, we're about at the 30-minute mark. If you have more questions for me, Put it down now because I got to bounce pretty soon. I've got some other. We actually we have a couple of new clients we're working with. I can't announce it yet, but I can give you a little hint. Kanojo ane ano sugoku subarashi shito nan desu So one of our new clients, I'm excited to to you know sort of sign the agreement and get things going. We're going to start in January. It should be a lot of fun. But uh, I'll keep you posted. Jeff wants to know, was Dan from Imagine Dragons your best interview of 2021? Hmm. It's up there on the list. I would say, um, so, so that's just to run through some of my highlights. I would say Dan is up there in the top for sure, without a question. Um, so talented. Robert Green is certainly up there on one of my highlights. Um, who else? Let's let's scroll through 2020 and let's remember who we talked to. Let me go to my channel. There we go. I'll see what you guys are seeing. Videos. Oh, there I am live. Um, 2021. Oh, uh, how can I leave off Wim Hof? Wim Hof, the Iceman. That was super fun for me because many of you know that I'm, I, I've like rebooted my health. I guys, I'm feeling a thousand percent better than I was, even just six months ago. I have I've done this sort of Wim Hof breathing method. I've got back to the gym. I've lost about fifteen pounds. I'm feeling like super strong. I got the you know I got the gains going back again, and uh, I give. Some of that credit, if not all of it, to Wim Hof, who kind of helped me rethink 
how important health is, mental health, physical health. But you know, I started doing the cold therapy plunges. I have a couple of videos. I hope you guys have seen those where I cold plunge into like 45 degree uh, water. I've been taking colder showers. So I take a hot shower. Man, my showers last for about seven minutes, you know, maybe 10 minutes at the most. But so if, a, if it's a 10 minute shower, because the math is easy, you know, six or seven minutes is nice hot water, you know, I do all my washing and all that. And then the last three or four minutes, I just crank it all the way to ice cold. And that has been super invigorating. It's like good for cardiovascular, uh, great for circulation. Uh, it helps with inflammation. Um, really get your blood pumping. You do not need a coffee in the morning if you are cold plunging or if you're taking cold showers. And uh, it's also great for metabolism as well as immunity, immunity or immune, immune health, keeps you healthier. Um, there's all sorts of benefits. So Wim Hof was definitely up there with Dan and uh, Robert Green. Let's see, there's another question here. I assume prepare your interviews, but it might take another turn or twist during the interview. How would you call... Let's see. I'm trying to interpret this question. How would you call your thrive to do so? Oh, I see. Curiosity, fascination, personal connection. Yeah. Okay. It's a great question. So basically you're asking, uh, you assume that I have things planned, like where I want to take it, and then it takes a turn and there's a surprise left turn or something like that. That is true. Although a secret is I, I don't have the questions planned in advance. So I do my research like so if you know Robert has a new book out or if Dan drops a new album I listen to it or I read the book and then I kind of collect my own thoughts but on purpose I do not prepare the questions in advance because I don't want it to be so prepared I want it to be more organic and I really want to uh, see where it's going to go so yes absolutely uh, my curiosity my fascination um, my interest in that subject allows me to go with the flow. I think uh, it's a Bruce Lee quote. He said, you know, and you know, if I'm quoting this wrong, but like there's, you're the vase, you're either the vase or the water in the vase. And, and Bruce said, you know, you should be the water in the vase to be able to adapt to any shape or environment that you're in. And that's sort of how I try to do my interviews. You know, I, I try to adapt to the shape of my guest and um, and then the, the last thing I'll say about that is really I'm trying to ask the questions I think you want to know. So, you know, after I ask what I want to know, then I think start thinking about you guys and start wondering, well, how can I bring value to you? What might you want to know if you're starting your business or building your brand or you're in a struggle right now um, with mental health or physical health like I have been the last couple of years just trying to. I'm getting older, okay? I'm sorry, but it happens. And uh, you have to do things differently if you want things to change. And so I've been trying to figure that out. But that's a terrific question. Uh, Peter wants to know, how many times a day do you do breathing method? Uh, first, I'll say I should do it every day. The honest answer is I end up doing it probably every... Well, my, my rule is I can skip one day, but not two days. So I try to do it every day. When I don't do it every day... I do not allow myself to skip two days. So there it is. Uh, and the same goes with the gym. So I'm in the gym. If, if I can get there every day, I go. I went today. I felt really strong. It was great. Um, 
But on the days that I'm too tired, I'll skip one day, but I do not allow myself to skip two days. I will say, again, with honesty, when I go just to fulfill the goal, you know, it's not always the best workout. I don't always feel strong. Sometimes I'm just like, you know, dragging my ass on the on the treadmill or I'm reluctantly, you know, lifting. So like I have better quality days at the gym than others. But the point for me is consistency. And so I'm there. I'm doing it. I'm seeing results. I'm seeing gains. So I'm psyched. Any would you care to guess how my bench press max has improved? So when I started, my bench press max was really, really low. Um, any guesses on what it is now in in pounds? If you can guess pounds, how many pounds? How many pounds can I bench press one time on the flat bench press? Take your guess. I'll tell you where I started, and I'll tell you where I am now. One eighty is a good guess. So. For context, I weighed about 190 pounds about six months ago. Now I'm down to 170, so I've lost almost 20 pounds. So 180 is a good guess, but I I can bench press more than my weight. Um, and I can bench press above 180. Any other guesses before I tell you? No other guesses? Okay. 250 is another good guess. Right now, and I'll write it in the comments, my max is 265. Yes. I'm shocked. And I, I got to 265 by just incremental gains. I started with really lightweight, you know, heavy, uh, several reps, basically like 15. 15 reps, you know, four sets and just working my way up from, I started, I think at like a hundred pounds, which was pretty pathetic. So I started like at a hundred pounds, just, you know, starting from scratch. I was getting those looks at the gym, but I didn't care. I just did my thing. And uh, week over week, just started adding weight little by little, didn't try to lift really heavy. Uh, and then like a month ago, I put those, Two forty-fives on each side, which I think was like, plus the forty-five bow, a forty-five pound bar was like two hundred twenty-five pounds, and I'm like, I wonder if I can even do this. And I busted out like four of them. I was like, whoa, all right, gains, all right. And so uh, each week I sort of put a little bit more weight on, put a little bit more weight to see where I'm at, just as a benchmark. And this last week was at two sixty-five. So uh, to get to three hundred, I mean, that's like for me, almost impossible. I wouldn't, but now it's, it seems reachable. Like maybe by the mid, not me, summer of next year, maybe I'll be at 300. That would be phenomenal. It's almost like unthinkable for someone like me. I just have never been able to lift heavy weights, but again, slow, steady incremental progress has been the key. All right. Any other questions that you want to know? This is an ask me anything. Uh, if you're just tuning in, if you're new, let me know we, where you are watching from. I'm in Southern California. I'm in the Los Angeles area. And um, love to know where you're watching from. If you are a new subscriber or you're a longtime fan. And then 
I'm happy to answer any of your questions about some of the things I know a little bit about, whether that's video production, YouTube channel management, YouTube channel audience growth, um, marketing and advertising, brand strategy. Lay it down because I'm going to bounce pretty soon, so let me know. I mean, one of the funnest things I do... Oh, Netherlands, sweet. One of the funnest things for me is just to engage with all of you because I make the video, I hit publish, and then I'm off making the next video. And so I don't get a lot of time to, to talk with all of you. So this is super fun. I can talk about another um, highlight of 2021. I would say... Um, Let's just scroll through some of the vids here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, some of the people I've had on the show are somewhat controversial. I can think of uh, Tillman Fertitta. If you don't know who Tillman is, he's, you know, a multi-billionaire. <laughs> is that my license plate? It's um, it's not real, but it's. I had it made because my company's called uh, the good brain digital studios. And so, so when I do car reviews, I'll put it on the car, uh, f for, you know, the video or for photograph purposes. It's just kind of a, a fun keepsake. Um, but Tillman, you know, he owns all these casinos. He owns 40 different restaurant brands. He, uh, is also the owner of an NBA basketball team, the Houston Rockets. And, he, his interview was great. I was really impressed. This is one of the ones I did earlier this year. Um, again, he's sort of a controversial figure because he's outspoken. He's Texan. He has no filter. He has enough money, you know, to buy up anything he wants. So he doesn't care what he says. But I thought his advice about business was really solid. And the takeaway from Tillman Fertitta was like, the devil's in the details. So he's the type of guy that, you know, if he goes to a restaurant and one of the neon letters in the sign is burnt out, like that drives him crazy. It drives me crazy too. I don't know why you would let your brand, um, you know, let that happen to your brand. It's just like, it's so bad. It's just like so easily fixed, you know, like these little cosmetic things, but like it says so much about your brand um, if you don't fix it. Same thing goes with like, if again, this, this restaurant example, if there's trash in your parking lot and the place just looks dirty and run down, that really, again, you know, this show is all about brands. We talk about branding. That is such a negative on your brand. And remember what brand or branding is. It's, it's the experience that other people have when they come in contact with your product or service. And so you may think or talk about what your brand is. But really, the meaning of your brand or the uh, relevance of your brand lives in the hearts and minds of the people who are your clients. So if there's trash in the parking lot or you're, one of the letters and your neon sign is out, you may think you're a five-star restaurant, but other people may think you're a two-star restaurant and, and never show up. Um, they might think this, you know, the amount of care you're giving to the sign or the parking lot is same amount of care you give to the food or the cleanliness. So it really makes a big difference. So, so Tillman's interview was, I think, 
super important for me to remember how important the little details matter, especially if they're customer facing. Of course, I met Justin Kahn. Justin's uh, the co-founder of, of uh, Twitch. That was a really interesting one. Another billionaire, um, Marie Kondo. The joy of tidying up Marie was terrific. Super dynamic. Um, amazingly talented. She's the new Martha Stewart. I just think that was incredibly helpful to, for me to think about. You know, uh, it's not about, it's not minimalism. You know, uh, Marie's method is not just getting rid of everything. It's only holding on to the things that really bring you joy, that are really meaningful. So I'll give you an example. Um, my dad passed away uh, recently. And in towards the you know end of his life, he started painting a lot. He wasn't very talented. I mean, he was okay for, for what he was. He was an amateur. It's not going to be hanging in any museum anytime soon or, you know, selling at uh, Christie's auctions. But um, those pictures are very sentimental to me, very meaningful because he painted them and he's no longer with us. And so even though, you know, they may not look like much to other people, uh, that sparks joy for me. And so that's the kind of thing uh, that has sentimental value that I want to keep. On the other hand, I have a drawer full of jeans that I don't wear anymore because, you know, I've lost weight or maybe they're out of style. And so I put those in a big pile. I took them to Goodwill and I, I donated those and I gave them away because they no longer bring me joy. And um, now I have more space in my drawer. And And Marie's method is also about sort of clearing your mind, right? Like, so there's this idea of a cluttered desk can sometimes equal a cluttered mind. That actually happens with me. The more I'm organized, the more I'm, uh, yeah, prepared uh, with things, you know, I can work more efficiently, but also my mind is freed up to be more creative and do the things that I'm good at. So I uh, would still love to hear from you guys. We have just a couple more minutes here before I'm going to bounce. Uh Another question here is, what are brands you love or are disappointed by or maybe disappointed in their branding strategy? Yeah, I don't want to talk too much shit about other brands. Um, there are some, definitely. I'm not going to call them out right here. Maybe I'll do a case study about them. Because I think, you know, in some cases, in some cases, the last two years have really been unique, you know, in the pandemic. Uh, certainly some have risen to the occasion. Um, and I'll, I'll think about something that uh, I learned from the team at salesforce.com. And one of the things that they say at Salesforce is that you need to be able to do business at the speed of, you know, where the market is headed. So a good example of that is, <clears throat> when the pandemic hit, if you're in food service or you're in medical service or frankly, any, you know, if you design T-shirts and print T-shirts, anything that you have to order and pick up, um, you know, not like Amazon where you order it and it shows up at your doorstep. But if you're a business or a service, if you did not respond and adapt to the pandemic by having, having like curbside uh, 
a curbside cashier or curbside drop-off or pickup, if you didn't adapt to the changing landscape, how things are changing, you're screwed. You're out of business. You're, you're shut down. And so, um, you know, what brands disappointed me? Uh, I think the brands that did not respond well during the pandemic to meet our needs, whatever those needs were, uh, really failed, missed a big opportunity. And some of them are already out of business. They had to shut their doors because they couldn't compete. I mean, movies, uh, movie theaters, that they couldn't help it, right? Like, But, uh, you know, I saw some people trying to respond uh, by creating a drive-in movie experience. That was interesting and unique. That's memorable. And um, I think... Again, the companies that responded and adapted to the changing needs and 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 wants of the people were the true winners uh, over 2020 and 2021. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, let's see. Mr. Goyat asks, how was your interview with, who is that? I'm not sure who you're talking about. Let's see, another memorable one. Uh, did you see the video with Katie Milkman? Um, Katie Milkman is a scientist um, who teaches at the Wharton School of Business in Pennsylvania. Um, she's written a book. And again, another memorable interview because she talks a lot about basically how to how to make change happen in your life and it's not the easiest thing to do but she talked about this idea of temptation bundling which kind of sticks in my head and what temptation bundling is of course you know it's we all have to be accountable and, and govern ourselves we have to tell our brain to be quiet sometimes or you don't want to eat that or you shouldn't eat that or you should do this but she talks about temptation bundling as setting up a reward system for yourself when you do things you don't necessarily want to do. So in her case, uh, she loves to play tennis. And so what she said is, um, if I can, if I can, you know, get my schoolwork done. So she grades papers because she has students. If I can grade all the papers uh, by 3 PM on a certain day, then I can go play tennis. And on the weekend, she might, you know, reward herself with going shopping or something that she wants to do or um, traveling to a certain destination, uh, spending a certain amount of money. So, again, she attaches the reward uh, to this difficult task, which she herself decides is important because she knows it's going to help her progress or, you know, get smarter or accomplish a goal or land a new client, whatever that is, and then attaches it. I thought that was kind of a brilliant strategy to, to actually make um, a change in your life. Oh, I see. Uh, so Mr. Goyat is referring to uh, the guru. I have, I have not had the pleasure of interviewing this person. So um, 
I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't interviewed them. Uh, Peter also asks about the metaverse. Do you think it will change the way we brand, market, and advertise? Um, absolutely. I think the jury is still out on what the metaverse is going to look like. If you're old like me, you remember this thing called Second Life, and uh, it's basically it was a virtual world. And you know, in many aspects, the um, online, you know, multiplayer games like Fortnite or Call of Duty, these are sort of like metaverse style games where we can take actions virtually, earn rewards that can be cashed out for other things and purpose. So we've been sort of living in the metaverse for a while. I think it will continue to evolve. Um, I don't love the Oculus goggles. They make me kind of dizzy and and like nauseous. I don't think that's a technology that's ready for mass use yet. I think there's a lot of room for growth. Um, but web, web 3.0 is certainly here and the metaverse is probably part of that. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who know what they're talking about. Gary Vaynerchuk is certainly hyped on the metaverse. He's hyped on uh, NFTs. He's hyped on cryptocurrency. He's excited about the future. And, um, and I, I believe, well, I used to think that all that was maybe five or 10 years from now. And now I totally changed my mind. It, it's actually, it's already been here. I didn't realize creeping up, you know, sneaking up on all of us. And it's very exciting. Actually, I think it's a good thing to embrace. I am currently not investing in cryptocurrencies, although I'm very, um, curious and I'm, I'm in the learner mode. So Gary suggested to give me advice. He said, do 50 or 60 hours of research on both crypto and NFTs. So that's in my calculation, about 120 hours worth of research. I'm about halfway into my research. Um, but it's certainly clear that cryptocurrency in some form, whether that's Ethereum or Bitcoin or Dogecoin or the 50 other currencies that exist. It is our future. In fact, it's our present. You know, it's, it's already happening right under our nose. And big institutions and governments are adopting this probably faster than we know uh, for it to probably someday soon be regulated or at least have a little bit more um, foundation than it does right now. It's very exciting times. A lot of people are getting rich and a lot of people are losing all their money. Um, so if, if, and when, no, no, not if, when I decide to get in the game, I'm going to only start experimenting with the amount that I can afford to lose because it, it's sort of like stock market or like gambling at this point, mainly because I don't know very much. Right. So I'll be cautiously experimenting, trying things and, and seeing how it works out, works out. NFTs, uh, this is easy for me to understand because of the digitization movement, which happened basically in the late nineties, uh, into the two thousands, everything became digitized. You know, we started sending PDFs instead of faxes. And, and so to me, NFT is the next iteration of the digitization of goods. The main difference is that it's attached to the blockchain, which is supposedly, 
unhackable, completely secure and encrypted and safe and trackable and linear, right? You can, if I want to send, um, if I buy a house in Paris, you know, I can have the deed sent to me in Los Angeles and I can know that it's legit, that I'm the sole owner. It's verified digitally and securely. Um, and so I think NFTs will become pretty much a daily use very soon in the next couple of years. Your passport could become an F NFT. Your the deed to your house, the deed to your car. Um, if you create original music or video, like I do, or art, or you know anything that you want to put your stamp of ownership on, um, proof of ownership will be, I think, through NFTs. So it's if you don't know anything about it, you can watch a couple of the videos on my channel with with Gary, with. Um, uh, who is the crypto king? Who who did I have on? Uh, Novogratz, um, Michael Novogratz, and he he's amazing. He broke it down for me, and I instantly became convinced that <laughs> he was right. So check that out. All right, guys, we're coming up on uh, the one hour mark. I'm going to say my goodbyes. I want to say thank you for for watching. Uh, I'll be back. I'm just I'm doing a lot of prep, and uh, we've got a ton more videos coming out, even between now and the end of the year. Stuff that I've shot that's in the can that I'm excited to release. I'm trying to insert myself more into the videos to make it a little bit more personal, to put my, you know, step up to the mic a little bit and give you my insights because I feel like, you know, I, unlike some of the other hosts of these shows, I'm not a you know multimillionaire, and I'm trying to, I'm in the struggle every day, just like you guys, building my business, growing my business, trying to, you know, making mistakes, figuring out what to do right. And so I'm, I'm producing this show as if I'm you. And um, I'm going to try and give you my two cents about what I've learned. And then you can also hear about like what Mark Cuban has to say about it, but I'll put my stamp on it too and try to personalize a little bit more. All right. All right. I appreciate you guys. Uh, we're going to end the stream. And we'll talk to you soon. I mean, we were just sitting back, you know, <laughs> chopping it up, reminiscing about the good old days and all that. <laughs> you know, tracking my roots, where I came from and where I'm going. But like I say, man, always said it. It's not about the destination. It's all about the journey.